Hi, welcome back to Me After Work. You don't know what you don't know until you know. I'm Celeste Maroney, founder of Me After Work, and I have um, joining us today, John Durant. John's an author, mentor, speaker, business coach, executive coach, and you. your LinkedIn um, tagline is helping busy high achievers thrive. Yes. Yes. Okay. What don't you do, John? You've got a lot <laughs> going on. And I've just he's just given me his book called Integrate. This is a beautiful book. Maybe, you know, when did you write this book? I wrote the book in 2016. And so, so it's done a bit of a run during last year out in the shops and uh, a lot of articles and I've written, written a whole lot of stuff about it. And it's, and it's opened a lot of doors for me, which is great. And who, who would, um, who's the audience for this book? Is it business people or is it more broad? It's business people or anyone who's a, what I call a high achiever, people who want to make a difference, mm-hmm. who are, aren't content with ordinary, who are a bit passionate about what they do. So that doesn't just involve business. So I guess if you're an athlete or anyone who's going for something in life, the challenge is how do you manage the passion you have and, and with the rest of your life? So I, I think work-life balance is a, a myth, unhelpful concept. But So I talk about integrating your passion, your work, usually that is, but whatever you're passionate about with all that's important in your life. And, and my book helps you think about how you're going to do that. What are the traits of high achievers? Well, I just mentioned a few. Basically... But distinctive traits? Well, when I look back on my life, you don't realise you're a high achiever until you look back. I'm, I'm a little older than 50 now. And so, um, looking back, I was involved in a band and we didn't just when I was in my late teens and we didn't just sing a bit we produced three albums and sang all over Australia and and, and pushed it to whatever limit we could get out of it um, I've, I've done that in everything I've done it in sports uh, you know, I move up into the higher levels of things at school I always did well and found it easy um, so most things I've done I've, I've taken from ordinary and average to do something a bit above average do you know what? I saw the documentary, I don't know, last night, if you saw it with Andrew Denton and Daniel no, Johns, ex-Silver Chair Singer, mm-hmm. and he was everything that a high achiever stood for. And through the interview, it was like that it's never going to be enough. Like yeah. he's always going to be striving. There's a drive in there. Yeah, yeah. and that he, he, even when he does get there, it's not going to be enough. How many people are like this? Certainly people who run a business who don't want to be on wages and who want to be successful in, in business are usually high achieve, what I call high achievers. Um, people in corporate life who, uh, again, don't just want to sit at the lowest levels but want to make an impact with their career. And anyone who wants to make an impact on the world and do something that leaves a mark, I think, is probably a high achiever. Mm. Do you think it's something that you're born with? No, because I, I, I know it's developable. It comes out of a deep sense of inner belief that, yeah, I can. I can make a difference. Mm. And a lot of people don't get that and maybe get that squashed in them as a kid or at some point in their life. I know I, I, I remarried uh, about eight years ago and, and my wife has a son. And he was, he's now 18. And during his, teen, you know, his early teen years in, in high school, he struggled and didn't really believe in himself. But we worked on that and encouraged him and just stood alongside him and helped him to find something that he was good at. And it turned out to be in the gym and bodybuilding. Mm. And, and, and when he got the sense that, hey, I can do something that's going to make a difference to, to himself initially, then he applied that to guitar. He picked up guitar and now he's excellent. 
like you grab the skateboard and now you can do all sorts of tricks and everything uh, on that. And then in his schooling, where he was a, like a C or D student, he got an 85% ATAR in the HSC last year because he just worked his butt off because he, he, he discovered a self-belief and what I call self-respect. He, he began to respect himself and not settle for less. I think that's got to be developed if you're going to be a high achiever. Is that how you work with companies and individual clients? Like, yep. do you see that as one of the big yep. or the most pinnacle things in unlocking self-belief? To me, the core, it's about if you want to lead yourself well, so self-leadership is what I work on. Mm -hmm. um, if you, the core to me of self-leadership is not just getting better at time management or email management or you know, being better organised. That's a small part of it. To me, the core of self-leadership is self-respect. And if, if you can respect yourself enough to, to keep appointments with yourself, to go for a walk, to clear your head, to look after yourself, to go to the gym, to have a massage, we'll do the things that make you f feel good and that help you to be centered and have a clear mind. If you can say no to busyness in order to look after yourself, you, to do that, you have to have a level of self-respect. Because if you don't, you're at the mercy of mm. phone call or the interruption or, if you can't say no, then you'll never organise yourself because every plan you have will go out the window because somebody will be demanding you. Was there a time in your life that you, that, that was missing for yourself? Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I think I, I didn't realise I was a high, high achiever. I'd just done a lot of things and usually done them well. Um, then my journey is very different to a lot of business people. <laughs> I actually uh, uh, am a very strong Christian and I... I was in, um, went into ministry. I, I became a pastor of a church, and we didn't just take over a church or become a leader in a church. I started a church. Oh, okay. So back, how long ago was that? That was back in the 1980s in the Blue Mountains. So it started with about 10, 15 people, grew it to 1,000. Oh, wow. In a small community. So we, we, and the average age of the church was 24. The biggest age group was 15-year-olds. So we were reaching young people and young adults, and it was very modern, contemporary, high-tech, just doing church differently. And to me, it's about connecting people to purpose. And God's in a part of that for me. Um, but connecting people to potential and purpose and helping them to discover all of that. So it was a great environment for people to come in and, and discover all that. At the time, did you realise that, you know, you were coaching people? Like even Probably didn't at the time, It didn't no. have the terminology maybe in no. the, the 80s or something. No, I didn't realise. Mm. But that was always my heart for people. But I invested myself so much in people, I forgot to look after me. This is when I hit my limits. I think every high achiever hits their limits, and it's not usually intellectual. I hit my emotional limits. That's so interesting. So I got so busy and so stretched, and then had a family, like a wife and, a, and a little kids, and all the pressure of family life. You know, the more successful you are in church life, you get more people, you got more to do. And I was having to raise up leaders, and there's lots of young people around, and I was. I was carrying a lot, a lot more than I realised, and functioning at a pretty high level, but didn't realise how burned out I was getting. And until it began to become a... I couldn't relax. I'd get to a day off and I didn't know how to relax. And so I just kept working, because uh, it was easier <laughs> than stopping. What do you mean by couldn't relax? Oh, I would just be restless and irritable and cranky and not very nice to people close to me. And my marriage... Uh, I mean, I love my wife, but it, it, she she really liked a lot of time, quality time. Her, if you know about the love languages, yeah. 
Hers was quality time, and I didn't have a lot of time. What was your, what's your love language? Words of affirmation okay. and for a physical touch. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting more and more criticism from her, which cut against my, my love language, and I wasn't giving her time. I was giving everyone else time and coming home absolutely buggered, uh, spent, exhausted, and she was cranky about that, rightly so. Looking back, I was the one who was the problem more than her. And so our marriage began to become difficult. And to be honest, I was getting much more information from what I was doing outside the home. So I, rather than work on the marriage, to my shame, I spent more time at work and let, let the marriage suffer. And didn't, because I didn't know what to do really. Didn't know where to go for help. It wasn't really done. I was supposed to be helping everyone. I couldn't help myself. Did you feel like there, there was contradiction as well with you helping others but not helping yourself? To some degree. I, I just got frustrated about that. I said, why can't we just work this out? Um, no, I, I didn't. If I, looking back, I can see things so much more clearly. I, I did not realise how much I was at fault. I was tending to blame her because I was just getting criticism and negativity from her rather than encouragement, which I... Because I'm, I'm doing all this and it's for God, it's for people, it's, it's not selfish, I'm not out there just wasting my own time, goofing off. I'm doing stuff that's important in my mind and, mm. you know, and helping people. But wasn't realising how the damage to the marriage or the damage to me personally. And uh, it all unravelled a bit and so I, I started to get really irritable and became very vulnerable and, and ended up having an affair, which um, I'm not proud of at all, which had never happened. I'd, I'd love to go back to that point and not do that. At um, the time, did you feel like you were making a decision that you weren't proud of? Oh yeah, I was so you knew- full of guilt immediately, but it was sort of exciting and it, taps, it touched something that it had been, I was very lonely, really. At a deep, intimate, core level, I'd lost my way and was very lonely. What, uh, what do you mean by lonely? Felt misunderstood, didn't think anyone really got me. Certainly my wife didn't. And was look, longing for affection, longing for warmth. What about um, connection to purpose? at the time feel like you were disconnecting from your own purpose because you were thinking about everyone else's purpose? Looking back, that's what was happening. I wasn't, I felt like I was living my purpose, but giving myself to others. And in, in the Christian like the way of thinking is you lay down your life for others. It's all meant to be all about others. That's where you're meant to find life. But I don't, I think I understand that concept differently now. Okay, this is good. I was, I was sacrificing myself in a way that I don't think the Bible actually teaches. Um, you've got to actually look after yourself. Jesus took time out to look after himself regularly. In, in the, if you read, read in the Gospels, in, uh, I wasn't doing that. I, I used to play a lot of sport. I would become unfit. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything for me. Mm. Was, it was all about other people. Is it a sacrifice or is it a de- deflection? I think I needed people too much. Oh, okay. I think so I was actually was serving everything you do in life, and this is a coaching thing. If you're doing something that's un- unresourceful or that's actually hurting you, but you keep doing it, somehow it's serving you. And you've got to find out what that secondary, like, you, you might want to stop it. Like procrastination serves people, 
it means it's actually more more beneficial to you than facing the fear or facing whether it's a fear of failure or a fear of success or whatever it is. But if you keep doing something that's, that's self-sabotaging, it's actually serving you in some way. But you've got to uncover that and, and work out what that is and then and deal with that issue in order to break through it. So this was your, you don't know what you don't know, that yeah, you're not exactly. actually having, <laughs> serving yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And how did it all unravel? I was feeling guilty, rightly so. And so I didn't get caught, I brought it out. I, I confessed to my wife what had happened. I had to resign as, from my ministry because you, be, you can't be someone whose character is in trouble and, and be serving as a Christian minister. You're just not supposed to. I, I certainly couldn't. Um, so I resigned. Uh, there was a whole lot of public humiliation around that because people didn't understand. They felt betrayed by me. I let people down, which I did. Um, I worked on the marriage briefly, but but it, there was too big a mountain to climb there to come back. Mm. I felt. Um, so I ended up on my own and pretty isolated for, and pretty shattered for about a year. Even though I couldn't relax and all this was going on, I was still functioning at a pretty high level. Most people were highly shocked that there was anything like this going on. It just so wasn't me. Poker face. Yeah, and, and so out of character. Mm. I just got so lost. So it's weird because I was helping people find the way and I lost my way. Do you think, um, even though obviously it's not something you're proud of, but do you think that that's what it took to, like something like that needed to happen for for you to have a realisation, like that uh, maybe you had to take time out for yourself and it, and it forced you then into rethinking and evaluating? I don't know if it needed to happen and I certainly have learned heaps from it. I spent a year trying to work out how did I get to this place. This is so not where I wanted to be. What happened, I worked with a psychologist for about six months and then began to do some personal growth courses and uh, the whole coaching training, I sort of moved into that. I did, I did some coaching training more for my own personal development initially than to, and then that led to thinking about executive coaching and business coaching because I started to run a small business for some, somebody and realised oh, the skills I have in growing a church are actually very similar to What's well, a business, business, isn't it, really? Yeah, there's a business side to per church. Side, yeah. We have a $2 million budget in the church and 40 staff. And so it's very similar and all the skills were transferable. I grew, I grew a business in the GFC, it was 2007 and 8. So we, we grew 16% uh, both, there's a swimming pool products and I grew at 16% both, both years and actually caused a problem for the owners because um, they, they wanted growth but not that fast. Oh. <laughs> So, so uh, after two seasons, I stepped out of that and had done my training while I was doing that. Going through what you went through, do you have a different respect for the human side of people? You know, that oh, we yeah. are imperfect, that Absolutely. we do make mistakes, yeah. that we do fall from grace, you know, Absolutely. and that's okay. Yeah, I probably was quite judgmental. Really, looking back as a, as a pastor, certain people I would be fairly judgmental of don't like that about my, my previous self. Now I can extend grace because I, in fact, it's one of my core values to give like a second chance. I love that. I, yeah. It's one of my core values. Grace is the word I would use, like a Christian word, but it's about a second chance. 
or a third or a fourth. Obviously, there's a point where you say, come on, you've got to get up and get going here. But I, I'm very willing to invest in anyone who's got a sniff of, a, of an opportunity to, to grow and break through something. Do you find that um, the clients and the businesses that you attract allows for those conversations or that deeper level conversation yeah. without judgment? Yeah, I'm a, I, I probably have deeper conversations with people now than I ever did as a pastor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people would come and tell me stuff as a pastor, but they weren't really, maybe didn't even want to deal with it. They just wanted to confess it somehow, mm. as if that was going to help them. It probably did a little bit. But now I have conversations where people are working through core issues in their life and, and seeking to improve and change and deal with things in terms of their values or, or their, uh, their personality or what, what, the things that are blocking them from getting to where they want to go. And it's quite powerful what can happen in those conversations. How long ago did this happen, John? 11 years. Yeah. What's been the last 11 years like? A year I was totally shattered and just working out which way was up. Then probably two years of where I was managing that business and doing all my training, personal growth training and coaching training. I did a business uh, set for in business as well. I just wanted to get my head around business stuff and make sure I, I had it in me. Um, and then I um, started business coaching, um, and I took anybody who <laughs> came initially. <laughs> and I live out in the Lower Blue Mountains, so I was networking mostly in the Penrith, Western Sydney area. And, and that was okay, uh, I struggled along just getting going. I worked a part-time job as a parole officer, uh, just on contract with the corrective services and realised I had something to give back and that, that was so easy to, compared to what I had been doing as a pastor. So I enjoyed that and paid my bills and gave me a lot of time because public service is an interesting animal <laughs> working That's in there. Cool. I'd never come across that kind of environment where you don't work hard, in fact you, they discourage you working hard. Um, so. But I did, and I had plenty of time to do other things, and then grew my business. So within about three years, I was making more than enough to live on. Have you had any moments close to that, the you don't know what you don't know moments, like even in the last six months or 12 months as you continue oh. to probably develop yourself and yeah. you interact with different clients and yeah. grow your business? Lots, I don't know. I, yeah. I, one of my, another one of my values is lifelong learning. That's why I have a mentor. Like I, I think anyone who's a business coach or a business mentor in that space who doesn't have a mentor or a coach, I get worried because mm -hmm. I think, how do you? We're we're blind to ourselves. You know, I can help you, and if I listen and sit with you, I, I can help be another pair of eyes into your life and your business. And because of my training and and my skills, I, I can help you. I struggle to help me. I can see some things, but um, I need help with me and with my business. So I, I invest uh, each year in the last few five years, I've invested sort of between 12 and 20,000 a year in my own growth and development and learning. Uh, plus the marketplace is changing so much. Mm. If you go off what you used to know, you, you're irrelevant very quickly. So you've got to be up to speed and, and having someone challenge the socks off you. Mm. And I enjoy that mostly. I've got a, a mentor now because I've been learning how to sell my service. That's been the biggest challenge. I could sell somebody else. I could, in, in the church, I'm 
I'm not wasn't working for me. I was working for God and for church, and I could I could sell anything there that was relevant. I why is it because it's so close to us and it's we're so vulnerable. Yes. In that space, like yes. it is so raw. Yes. And believing in myself in this new space is um, that I'm good enough. All those questions: Am I good enough? Can do I have what it takes? They all. I mean, every person on the planet has those questions. I've learned. But I've had to deal with my issues there and be, learn to become confident in the space that I'm now in. And I mostly feel confident now. Some days I don't. <laughs> so I'm still learning and growing and every now and then I hit an issue. One of my clients has been through real big challenges in his business and it's just a bit beyond me. Uh, some of it. So thinking about that, researching that, giving him way more time than he was paying for because I don't want anyone to fail on my watch. Mm. So, so um, that's it's been a great learning opportunity, really, for me. To, we're just getting to a point where he's starting to crack through that now. Well, there's, there's a nice honesty around that too. Yeah, you know that the coach doesn't always know everything, and that you want to work with someone that if they don't, they can tell you and yep. and, and help you explore other options. Yes, and we've brought in other experts in in, in some of the financial and systems areas. I'm really good with leadership, people stuff getting the best out of your team. I know my strengths and I've niched down a little more than I, I was very generalist at first. If you need someone with really skilled financial management, that's not me. Or really skilled systems knowledge, that's not me. Uh, I can access those people now. Um, but I, I can help a bit in those areas, but if that's your biggest need, that's not me. So I'm saying no to those kind of things now where I used to try and take it on, mm. pretend I knew and work it out, say yes and work out how. Um, are you still with the church? What's your level of involvement with the church? Yes, I'm part of a church, a really good church in, in Penrith. I uh, attend every Sunday and I help as an usher once a month. Uh, that's all I can do at the moment because I'm busy yeah. and doing stuff all over Australia. Plus, I'm investing back into my family, reconnecting with my daughters. I've got three married daughters and Five grandchildren, nearly six in a month. In a month. You look so young, John. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I feel young. I'm fitter than I've ever been. I stay fit, um, healthy, regularly doing all sorts of things. I feel like I've got vision out to 90, 100 years. You know, I, I feel like I've got vision for 90. I turned 60 uh, recently. And uh, as part of that, Rather than thinking old, I felt, no, I, I want to do something very significant every year for the next 30 years. Oh, that's good. So I've written a book, and I've got another book I'm writing this year called Finishing Well. So again, I'm researching that right now, so looking at high achievers, because so many people don't finish well. Mm, we end up sabotaging ourselves mm. or losing our way, usually not because of business success. No, we, business success is relatively easy. It's more the marriage or the... The, oh, the emotional issues or the health issues, because we haven't looked, we've neglected some some areas of our life while we've been busy pursuing our dream, and they come back to bite us. So I've got a, a whole of life approach. That's, that's what my book's about. Oh, that's nice. A whole of life approach. Mm. Um, leadership. What makes a good leader? <laughs> uh, a good leader knows what his or her strengths are. Uh, personality strengths, behavioural strengths, knows what their weaknesses are and he's okay with that, not trying to hide them, defend them, so that they're able to be real uh, and your staff 
and get help around where you're weak because no one is strong in every area. So there's a self-acceptance, a self, you respect what you can do but you know what you can't and you're okay with that. You're comfortable in your own skin. I think security is the heart of what makes a good leader. You can be personally secure, you're able to say, listen, I don't know. And but let's work it out. Let's work it out. And get help or access help. Be curious when things don't work rather than cranky. Um, hope, I think the core of that is, secu is security, being real, mm. authentic. Another one of my values is authenticity. So I, I try and very much live my values now. I think I had values but didn't live them all the time mm. when I was younger. Because everyone wants a great leader, don't they? Yeah, and, and the you danger is we, we, look for it. we put them on a pedestal. Mm. So the leaders, it's the leader's job to say, well, not to share all your struggles, but to, to say, well, I struggle with that too. Yeah. And I think you admire people for their strengths, but you connect with people around their weaknesses. What is your take on the whole notion of leading busy lives? How are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm busy, tired, yeah. busy. <laughs> when do we become so busy obsessed? Well, we've got a... We've got a leash on us. All of us carry a smartphone, which is a leash to busyness. It's like this animal that we're trying to tame. It's, we're leashed to it in a way. So the problem is 24-7 now. And even on holidays, people check their emails. Mm. As I shared earlier, that need to be needed, that need to feel like I'm a person of worth because I'm really busy, mm. that gives significance to some. What trends do you see in how we are living our life? I think it's a very exciting time to be alive. Yeah, I, I, Great answer. I love the you know, 21st century. I wouldn't, I'm glad I'm alive at this time. And I've lived long enough now to, to I've been through a lot of change in, in my life. I, I remember way back living in Coffs Harbour when I was a kid in the 1960s. And you get, we had a baker who delivered bread where the milk got delivered every morning in a, in a tin. Oh, it wasn't in bottles. And, and the baker who came in with a horse-drawn cart. I mean, I think he, there were plenty of cars then, but... So that's in my lifetime. Yeah, wow. Uh, from country New South Wales to different to the city. So, so much change, but it's so exciting. And, and to stay... I, I try to stay up with things. Or so many apps on my phone. So all of that's very interesting and exciting. It's, but it's consuming. So I try and do the detox. I live very pretty simply. I wouldn't recommend it, but I got divorced and lived in a little unit with not much stuff and left all my stuff, gave everything to my wife pretty much because I felt so guilty. Minimal, same with furniture and don't want a lot of stuff. Just want yeah. good stuff, yeah. nice stuff, yeah. Just this is a question about disc profiles, but yeah. can they change? Okay, I, I do extended, I know, I extended disc. Yeah. Um, so this is a whole program, right, for, mm. for the listeners? So yeah. Extended disc is behavioural profiling. It's not personality or psychometric profiling. Okay. So it predicts behaviour. And, and sort of from your DNA, from your experiences, your beliefs, everything that's made you who you are right now, you've learned certain habits and patterns of ways of doing things that are easy for you. And then there's other ways for you that are more difficult. And so the extended disc actually measures how much energy you use to do stuff. So the things that are easy for you, that's, that's what you're strong in. The things that are harder for you, that doesn't mean you can't do them, but that's what you're weaker in based on the disc, the disc system. So it's a gap analysis. 
Kind of, yeah. yeah. Predicting your behaviour. So it's really, really useful. So if, if, you're, if you've grown up and become a certain way in your life, then if you're trying to change yourself and turn yourself inside out to do your job, that's going to take an enormous amount of energy and probably isn't sustainable. So the extended disc measures that. It measures who you are naturally and, and then who you are in your job right now. Who you are naturally probably won't change a lot over if you did a profile in two years or five years. Unless you have a traumatic life experience, then sometimes we change. But it'd be 5, 10, 15% difference, but roughly the same. Um, but your profile at work can change all the time, depending on your role or your supervisor or what's going on in your work. So that can change a lot. And it's an awareness exercise yep. for a business. Yes. Yeah. Really useful. All my clients I've put through the sort of extended disc profiles, just a short questionnaire online. If a conversation starter and, and a window on that person, not to box them in, but it starts the conversations about where the real issues are right now and saves a lot of time. If, you, if your life is a hundred room mansion, instead of going through every room to find the things that are important to talk about now, I, we go straight to the two or three rooms where the That's big, efficient, issues. Isn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's really good. Um, what's your thoughts on one-on-one versus group coaching? There's benefits in both. I actually do both. Group coaching is harder work getting the group together, unless it's within a company. Yeah, say within a company. So I, I love working with business owners and then with their team. So it's a lot of what I do is in the small business space, five to 20 staff. So that the business owner is usually very busy in the business, trying to grow the business, but also now they have a team and they don't usually have training in how to lead a team. And they don't realize they've hired people to do jobs and now they have a team. But as a leader, you've got to set the culture. You've got to set the tone. You, you, your energy feeds the team. If, you don't have, if, you, if you're all over the place, they're going to struggle. So learning how to make it work so the business owner is not a bottleneck in a growing business. And so the weight of the business moves in onto the team doesn't sit with the business owner. Like they all go home at five o'clock and the business owner's still there at nine o'clock fixing things and finishing things. You, that's, that's a sign that things are not good and that doesn't have to be, uh, let me tell you. So you can get home and get with, be with your kids and your, and your partner and your, your family and get on with the rest of your life if you learn how to work with a team. I love doing that. It's so exciting helping the communication happen, helping them sh get values shared and get a cu culture that works and that represents a business owner, but everyone can join and be part of. All of that's good fun, and it's quite—it's not hard actually. It just takes a bit of. There's a process you've got to follow. Mm. And, and it's a willingness, isn't it, for, for the business owner? Yeah, they've got to. And the and the and the team to individuals. Yep. Yeah. Team's usually craving it. The problem is usually the business owner, not the team. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, but they're the one paying, so you can't bag them out too much. <laughs> so. uh, my last question is, you know, what would be your advice to someone who has come unstuck and is searching for a second chance in their life? Self-respect is what you've got. You, got. you gain it and you've got to keep regaining it all your life. So people give you self-esteem or they can feed your self-esteem by encouragement and accolades and praise and all that but self-respect is the gift you give yourself so if you feel bad about yourself if, if the, the voice the tape running in the back of your head is all negative and you're beating yourself up all the time 
you're killing your own self-respect. And if you're rehearsing your failures, which we all have some, you've got to learn how to process grief and disappointment and failure and get to a place where we feel good about who we are again. I've been through that. I can help people go through that and then come to that place again. But you've got to do some work on yourself and be willing to, to, to be a bit tough with yourself. If you're willing to do that, you can do it. You can do this. Perfect. Thank you so much, John. Oh, my pleasure.